Welcome to Picking and Putting. We're here with an up-and-coming musical star from Nashville and Michigan Roots, Annie Wilgen, along with Liberty Bill. I'm Doc Z. We're picking and we're putting. And I even brought along a prop to make Annie feel at home in North Carolina. Oh, I love it. It's a little big, (laughs) but you know, whatever. So I got a shout-out. We got a shout-out to Pinball Doc on YouTube. He'll be following along. And Mike and Stick, Tom Edwards, and Plaid on uh, uh, Twitter. We look forward to those are future guests coming along on the show. Okay, well, let's get started. We want to talk to Annie, who's uh, uh, a longtime uh, friend of the show. Annie, tell us how you got started in music. Let's just start off from Um, square one. Yeah, I mean, well, I have my family to thank for that. My dad definitely has been um, a driving force in making sure I reach my potential with music. I started when I was young singing, um, playing piano, started guitar lessons. I did cello in high school. So my family's all very musical. Um, So I was the one, I guess, who stuck with um, songwriting specifically was kind of where I broke off and decided that's where I wanted to go and Nashville was the place to be so <laughs> I up and moved here and luckily my family all supported that so um, I'm very thankful for them so that's kind of how it started. Yeah well that was a brave thing to do because you've been there how how many years have you lived in Nashville? Gosh, um, gosh. I want to say eight years now. Wow. wow. Yeah long time. <laughs> so what was it about songwriting that really spoke to you um i liked the storytelling aspect um i grew up listening to country and i loved that part of it and it really in reels reeled me in and i i wanted to learn how to do it and so i started just kind of journaling and it was all horrible (laughs) in the beginning Young kids, I mean, goodness, but um, I feel like I've come a long way from there. But I loved Taylor Swift was another big inspiration for me. I just loved her first record, and I just decided I'm going to give it a go. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, do you carry around a journal? Um, like when you when you you know you're walking down the street and you go, oh man, there's a song. <laughs> no, I should. But I, I don't journal as much anymore. It's more when I write now in a book, it's like um, my experiences. It's a reflection kind of thing. Um, now I do everything on my computer. Pretty, pretty <laughs> slick. Well, so tell us. Oh, go ahead, Bill. Uh, you mentioned Taylor Swift. Seems mm-hmm. To me, it's a bit of a, an empowerment movement, right? We're seeing it in sports. We're seeing it in other areas of life where creatives mm-hmm. are taking control of their own product. I'm curious if you've seen 
any movement of that like on the ground in Nashville or within your circle or where you see that heading, kind of that empowerment of the creator? Um, oh yeah, there's definitely been a lot of that happening here. I think with the way music, the music industry has changed throughout the years, um, especially with technology, there's less money. And so people are starting to want ownership of, you know, their, what they create. Their own. Having that middleman, but it's hard because you don't get paid for most of it until, you know, you hit it big or, or well, how did, something like that. Well, how, <laughs> well, on a, okay. So what's a typical day for you in terms of, of your mute? Cause I, I always, you know, I have, I have a vision that when you're out there doing your thing, I, I'm uh, 12 hours into REM sleep. So, <laughs> so and I probably am, but um, <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Well, we were talking this morning and, I am not a morning person, so it's very hard for me to wake up early, but my early is technically not that early. Um, Usually songwriting, like co-writes would start at 11 a.m., so that's usually when my day starts. (laughs) Right. And then, but I am a very much a night owl, so I could stay up till 1 or 2 a.m. working on my computer or creating and be just fine. So it's kind of like throughout the day. Usually you'd start either at 11 and go till two or three. And then that's mostly when people like to write, but then there's the evening writes as well. Um, for people who work multiple jobs or can't do mornings or daytimes. Um, and that's usually later in the day. So. Do you have, is there, is there a big upfront expense? I mean, you and I were talking about the equipment that's involved to just have around yeah. your house to have your own studio and a bedroom or office. Oh yeah. Um, is that a, is that an ongoing expense? A lot of that's on the cloud or, or, you know, like a mixing board stuff. I don't understand. Oh yeah. I mean, it's all individual. Um, if you, if you go about it the right way, you can kind of save money and buy used or get hand-me-downs from friends or um, like I got my speakers from my dad. <laughs> but a lot of it is, I mean, it's thousands of dollars. I bought, I had to buy a new computer and that was, you know, a huge expense. The MIDI keyboard, microphone, it all you, and then as you get better and you learn more. Like I just started learning production last year, um, kind of with the 2020 craziness. I was like, I want to learn something new. So, <laughs> and I didn't realize how much it was going to cost to like get everything I needed, even just for the basics. Um, but as you learn and you grow, you want better equipment and you, you want it to sound better. And usually you have to spend more. So it is like an ongoing Expense. Um, expense. Have you have you um, have you found? This is just me talking. Have you found so living in Nashville? Have you found some friends or some colleagues that you relate to between Memphis and New Orleans because they're different different sticks, so to speak, jazz versus. Oh yeah. You mean like between genres and places kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, do you have you been to Memphis? 
I actually have never been to Memphis. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I just, I just, I think of, I think of Tennessee and I think of like you, great music and Dolly and everything yeah. else. But, um, well, yeah. I wonder is, as part of the pandemic with everyone staying at home, I'm sure part of the reason you moved to Nashville was for the community to get together with other musicians and network mm-hmm. and all that. Oh yeah. So yeah. you mentioned picking up production mm-hmm. as part of the pandemic. I wonder how about your networking in Nashville? How has that vibe kind of continued on? So, well, if it's, you go through waves, I think. And especially as I've gotten older, I don't want to go out as much. And with 2020, especially, it's like you get used to staying in and you don't, it's weird, but um, yeah, I, it's, it's definitely harder to network now in this, I guess within the past year, it's been very difficult. It's all usually through email or text phone. Um, I've done some zoom rights. Sometimes people don't want to get together and like totally understand that. And um, when I first moved, I was a lot more, um, social. I'd go out all the time. I'd want to meet people. Um, but it can be very lonely too, if you don't make those, um, like strong connections or really strong friendships. But luckily I've been here long enough that I have found that. So it's, that keeps me going. <laughs> so do you have a real close uh, group of, because I've seen things you've done with uh, the one young lady who's been published and have songs and, and you've been on stage. Do you, do you have a group of, of guys and gals that you enjoy working with more than others or? Yeah. I mean, one thing I I make sure to do though is always um, write with new people and continue expanding um, okay. my circle. But I do have a circle of friends that I love very much, and that we've collaborated, and I love their sound and what we've created together. So, yeah, it's it's definitely to keep. It's definitely nice to have that group. And as certain people find successes, like it kind of grows. You grow with them, and that's like huge that's usually how um a lot of songwriters find their um next step up if that makes sense right um but yeah i've i um one of my good friends kaylee shore signed a record deal last year and amidst the craziness um, yeah so it was my second i had a song on her record it was my second um label Right. Uh, release. Uh, awesome. So the first was with Brett Young and then Kaylee's. Um, and she opened up a lot of doors as far as like opportunities. Um, playing the Opry at the Ryman with her was huge, a bucket list wow. dream yeah. of mine. And um, the Music City Midnight last year with open, we opened for Keith Urban with her band. Um, and I didn't realize that was kind of like my first, we went to LA, we started like a tour. Um, I was singing backups for her, backup vocals. And that's kind of where I, I always knew I loved backup vocals, but like that's where I learned that I love to sing on stage backup vocals for someone. So that kind of inspired me um, in a different way. And then obviously with the momentum kind of dropping off, <laughs> Like that tour was canceled, which stinks. But then I opened up another door as far as production goes. And I can record 
background vocals from home for other people on their records. So it's just like, it's funny. I try to take the positives and everything, but it's funny how things work out and you, you know, if you stick with it and you stay motivated, you can um, continue to make progress. So I was going to ask about venues. You named a few there. What are your favorite types of venues to perform in? And is there a venue that you don't like to perform in? Um, okay, let's see. <laughs> I'm probably going to have an unpopular opinion with okay. this one. Um, but I, I loved, I love playing the listening room. I love how big it is. <laughs> and um, the vibe is usually always very chill, um, super relaxed. And that's how I, that's what I find I do best with. Um, my least favorite would probably be the Bluebird. Um, because I know that's a huge venue and it's, you know, prestigious and everything, but it's, it's so small. It's so small. And I feel so cramped in there and it's also so intimate and close knit. It's like high pressure. (laughs) (laughs) So that's really the only reason I love the bluebird. Don't get me wrong, but it's, um, it's so, it's a different vibe for sure. Well, I, I would have thought the Grand Ole Opry would be really cool just to... Oh, that's like my top, 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 top. Yeah. But that, that you don't get to play every day. <laughs> well, so... And what are, are the acoustics there really good? At the... Grand Ole Opry? Um, so there's it? two locations for the Opry. They have the Grand Ole Opry and then they have the Ryman that they have the Opry yeah, show the at. Yeah, Ryman, yeah. So I sang at the Ryman. Um, okay. And... I mean, it sounded amazing. It was literal heaven on stage. I <laughs> I can't explain it. <laughs> it's very special. Yes, it was very, very special. So I wonder, are there other types of music that you listen to outside of country to draw inspiration from? Yes, actually. And this is where I've learned. It was a growing, um, a learning curve as well, because I love pop music so I listen to a lot of mainstream pop and I try to be diverse with my genres so I listen to a little bit of everything here and there but pop music is probably my favorite interesting (laughs) yeah so I've done a lot especially with production I've actually done more pop songs and so (laughs) I've kind of like leaned into that and um, explored that more. Well, so, pop is fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> well, have you branched? Have you branched? I had two more two more questions. I just thought of one was: Have you branched out okay. with other instruments besides acoustic guitar, or you just you know like I'm waiting for Annie on banjo. <laughs> but the other Gosh, one, and you know what? I always want to learn that one. Yeah, that, I mean, it just looks like I've always looked at that and said that's got to be hard as heck to, to oh, learn how to play. Yeah, and you have to have a lot of patience, and I just do not have that. <laughs> so, do, yeah. yeah, it's well. It's, do you ever do you ever have um, coaching? In other words, you know, like coaching's a a big word in business and whatever. But have you ever had like? Does anybody use vocal coaches or or no? Um, yeah, people do. I mean, I'm sure there there's plenty here. I've never yeah, I've never done that, but 
I know people who do vocal lessons and teaching like that. So I've just never done that. Yeah, I've never done that. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I, you know, I don't know. I just, that was something I was thinking. Well, when you said the, the business of music changed so much when, and, and like you said, uh, uh, Taylor Swift was kind of like at the head of that. Mm -hmm. owning your own owning your own music and Spotify and all those kind of places. So that, that sounds like that's a, a tougher sell. Like you said, you have to get a hit or there's, you know, there's positives and negatives with owning your own um, music. Obviously you don't have the money behind it. You don't have the push to, you know, radio or certain things, unless you have that direct connection. Um, personally. So, you know, you, if you, if you're doing it independently, it's, it's tough because you never know if it's going to hit or how many people are going to end up listening or in liking it and where it can go from there. And you're doing all your own plugging. So that's, there's a drawback with that, but there's also you, then you own a hundred percent of what you're putting out so if it does you know end up blowing up then you have all all of that you you know you recoup all of that right so that's the nice thing and then you don't have to worry about you know percentages and you know Business. how they divide it up and stuff like that yeah so it's but it's a lot of people are finding success independently because there's new platforms like tiktok is one um i have not gotten to yet <laughs> i'm a little slow with that but um yeah a lot of people are um putting their music on there and getting tons of views and then they want them to release their song so it's i mean it's just another way of helping the artist which is nice well annie tell us tell us what tell us what your vision for the future and what what kind of for yourself or is it just an open book where you'd like to go in the next <laughs> five years or where it's do you funny. see where do you see yourself or do you just open-ended I have to say it's funny that you said that because Kaylee's album is called open book <laughs> so I'm like, there you oh. go. <laughs> I'm super super grateful to be a part of that um I think what I what I find that keeps me motivated is just focusing on the, the specific things about the music industry or in the music industry that I am passionate about. So my goals would be, I've learned, I love background vocals, whether that be on people's records or, or singing live on tour. Um, that's something that I'd love to do going forward. I want my vocals on everyone's record. <laughs> um, same with songwriting credits. I still love songwriting and that's a huge part of, I mean, the biggest part of why I'm here. So having my name in everyone's record is another goal. Um, a number one song is a dream of mine. And I really want to get a song on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy, okay. There you go. <laughs> Those two placements. That's yeah, that's pretty cool. I I, I could see that. I, yeah, that's <laughs> it's a big goal. <laughs> no, I no, that's that's a big goal. 
That's specific. Yeah. They say to keep them specific. Yeah, I mean, that's what I want to do. That's my. That's what I'm going to do. It's all about manifesting. <laughs> that's right. Well, Annie, we've had we've had a ball having you today, and uh, we wish you the best in your career and and with your music. And we look forward to listening to you on Spotify and Apple and Stitcher and you name it for years. All the apps. Tell us, tell us, tell us, just tell the folks out there who are listening how, how one, how they can get a hold of you if you want them to. And mm-hmm. two, where can they go to find music and, and lyrics and, and things by Annie Wilgen? Um, well, so I don't have a lot out right now. I do have some on my SoundCloud. Um, I am kind of have everything a little more behind the scenes, but I share on Instagram probably the most. So it's just at Annie Wilgen. I'll share little sneak peeks, tidbits here and there. And then I usually put the full song on SoundCloud. So same, just SoundCloud slash Annie Wilgen. Okay. So SoundCloud is a way that, that I could go, I could put SoundCloud dash Annie Wilgen and go listen to your stuff. Yes. And some of it is I'm just the background vocal on um, some I've just been a part of writing wise. And then others are my vocal on the lead. So all kind of mixed up in there. Okay. Bill, (laughs) I hope we see you live here soon doing some background. Oh, yeah, I know. Once everything gets back to normal. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me today, though. I had so much fun. Well, we look forward to seeing you again and uh, hopefully this summer at the beach with the waves and, and, yes. and diving in the water. Yes. We'll let you go, babe, and thanks for being here. Thank Have you. Have, Have a, a good, good one. <laughs> um, Do I just click leave meeting? <laughs> yeah, so you just click leave meeting. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Okay, Billy. Uh, I just had a couple things I, I wanted to follow up after that was, that's a nice discussion with Annie. That's kind of fun. So those types of people are always inspiring. I'm just every day having to write and come up with creative <laughs> songs. Yeah. Well, and she's, she, she's a ball of fire. She went, I mean, it take, took a lot of nerve to go off right out of high school. She moved herself to Nashville and just threw herself in there and started doing it. So I have all the respect for that. I mean, that's somebody pursuing their dreams, and that's wonderful. Um, just wanted to finish out this week with a couple discussions. We, You and I talked about there were two big things in golf. I mean, rule 16.4 and putting your fingers down there and moving your ball and stuff with Patrick Reed. That's kind of been hammered around this week a lot. And um, I, I guess to me, when you put it down, the letter of the law was followed and all that. I think, um, you know, at the amateur level, we're so used to, hey, that's good. So, you know, yeah. it's a little different. But I think you made a good point. And in fact, I watched this on uh, Peacock yesterday on the golf feed, which by the time anybody hears this will be past point in Phoenix. But they have a whole show now on prop bets for golf. Yep. Well, once golf exposes themselves to that, then their officials, like you said, 
are going to have to be on the spot. In other words, it can't be, yes, it's a gentleman's game and all that, but if you're going to allow money into that and they're going to bet whether Patrick Reed gets up and down from this sand trap, then, you know, I bet 10 bucks, then they've got to be more stringent about the enforcement of the rules. Yep. And, the play, and the players are going to have to understand that. Uh, so that opens up a whole can of worms to the gentleman's game of golf and and rule your own ball. Because if there's ever an issue, then that bet, you know, if, if there's an issue like there was the other day, I mean, you could argue that Rory, anybody bet on Rory should be eliminated because they both did the same rule. I mean, and I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying, you know, if the official in football says it's no good, even though it went through the goalposts, it's no good. Yep. And the bet counts. Yep. So I see that as an issue. I, I'm not going to go back and berate uh, Captain America any more than he's already had it this week. But. No, but the tour itself needs to think these things through before they secure multi-million dollar partnerships with all these gambling companies and they're promoting it like crazy. Oh, yeah. And they just haven't thought it through to the point where to your points bet USA, who's conducting that alternative broadcast at the Phoenix Open, had to refund some bets last week related to Patrick Reed because people are betting on head to head matchups where, okay, Patrick Reed won by like four strokes, but what if someone bet a head to head matchup on Saturday and one or two strokes was the difference? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, 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 I think they'll find very quickly that they're going to have to tighten their their uh, belt belt spring belt <laughs> suspenders whatever the heck that all the above yeah all the above the other thing you brought up was the USGA and the RNA making a uh, saying they'd had a year study and and the the equipment and the distance the ball travels and uh good golly if you go back to the equipment Jack Nicholas was in Mike Suchak and Tom Weisskopf were hitting at 300 plus with the equipment. God, they'd be hitting at like 400 now. Exactly. I mean, I, I honestly believe it goes back. They talked about the ball a long time ago. And Nicholas, Jack Nicholas designed a course in the Caymans where they didn't have any land. So the ball you used, I played there one time. The ball you used was basically kind of like a wiffle ball. So the hole would be 120 yards long, but you could only hit your driver like 30 yards. The harder you hit it, the far, less far it went. Well, you you don't need to do that, but I do think I do think that I've said for a couple of years now that the Masters would go to a Masters golf ball because they can't make that place any longer. Yep. And um, so somewhere somehow they have to put a governor on it, and you know, a few months ago. Clay and I had spoken to uh, Clay Smith had spoken to the past president of the PGA of America who lived in, in Myrtle beach. And he said, Oh, I see that they're going to have a bifurcation of the rules. Yep. So there'll be rules for the pros rules for you and me. Yep. Um, and I, I don't know how I feel about all that. I, um, you, you talked and, and you let us, let me know what you thought. You, you talked about Rory and Webb and, um, uh, Bryson's opinions on on this. What did, what did you think? 
Well, I think at the end of the day, those guys are just being shills for their massive corporate brand sponsors, the equipment companies that love to say, hey, you want to hit the ball like Rory? Here's the newest driver. Go out and get it. It's 500 bucks at your store. So those guys are just saying what the equipment manufacturers that sponsor them want them to say. And I understand why folks like you, both the guys I work with on the Golf Shop radio show, hardcore golfers that are pretty good at the game, that achieved a level of success playing in college, whatever, want to see the consistency. They want that dream of, oh, anybody can qualify for the U.S. Open and win, and it's all the same rules. But if you look at every other sport, it's different. In baseball, we use aluminum bats in college. Then we use wooden bats at professional. Basketball, it's literally a different basketball once you go from college to professional. And you know what? Kids are playing street ball all over the place with all different size of basketballs. It's really okay to make the pros use a separate set of equipment and a separate ball to reel them in so we don't have to redesign every course in this country for the 0.00001% of professionals that play golf. That, that's really what I think it comes down to. So yes, you will see that bifurcation. Well, I, I'll tell you an interesting aside of that. When you were going through all those, the one sport that doesn't do that for the ball is tennis. It can yeah. say it can say Spalding, Wilson, Rick Zollinger. It doesn't matter, but the balls have to conform. Yeah. They That's don't a have point. a problem. They don't have a problem with it. Now in golf, Titleist Callaway, and and heck, all these balls are made in Japan and just put a different name on them, anyways. <laughs> That's right. So I don't know about that. I I do. My opinions kind of align. I love Rory because Rory's honest. Yes. 99.9% of the people, you can't do this to them. But he says, we're, we're, we're the elite. And I understand that, but my dad isn't, you know? So the, the one that I agree with the most on that, and then we can kind of let that go to rest, I guess, but it was Webb because I've been saying for four or five years, I grew up in, in, in Ohio and there was a great golf course. And a lot of you folks will know this course called Scioto Country Club. Bobby Jones, it had history going back 100 years. And it's kind of been, uh, it's like Marion in, in Pennsylvania. It's, it's landlocked, and they can't make the course 8,000 yards long. And, and, you know, in the last decade, all these courses got rid of trees to give you these vistas and all that. Well, now... That course, when I grew up on, was like hitting down a, an interstate with trees on both sides. And the greens were small, and they were well-trapped. And that, to me, is where I would go back with design. I, I, you know, I can go back when they first had the course here in uh, Charlotte, the Wells Fargo, which was four names ago, something else. And when they first had it, they had the rough like the U.S. Open. And the place was immaculate. The fairways were tight. And it ate the guy's lunch. And Phil Mickelson came and said, well, you know, do you want us to come here and enjoy it and make lots of birdies for the fans? Or do you want us to suffer like the U.S. Open? And so for a regular tour event, they had to loosen, cut the rough, widen it. You know, they can make the greens fast and all that. So. 
you know, I don't know. I, I'm kind of in, I'm in between on what Webb's saying. To me, I thought Webb went a little far where he was asking every golf course to redesign itself. If, and I think that's a little much, but I agree with what you're saying, where especially more private clubs that are really catered towards hosting tournaments every single year. Yeah, tournament week and when you're getting ready for it, make it really challenging. Do what you can. Right. I wouldn't say go crazy and put a bunch of trees on every course in America. That's going to cost a ton of money. And amateurs and the younger amateurs especially want to get out within three, three and a half hours. I mean, ideally. So if you're going to make the courses all way too challenging, again, to accommodate the, what is it, 20, 280 pros? Yeah. It's 280 pros and 28 million of us rest of golf. Well, that's 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 what makes if you ever get the opportunity, folks, to go to Ireland or Scotland. That's what makes Lynx golf so much fun, because you can go to St Andrews and it's not anything dramatic in prettiness, okay? But because of the elements, the weather, the wind, the rain, the temperatures. That's half of the battle, barring the golf course. And so I don't, I, you know, that's it. That's, that's why that's always held up as the standard and ideal. And, and I get that. And, and, you know, you can come to the United States and then the opposite of that to some degree is Pete Dye. And you got railroad ties and you've got island greens and you've got visuals that, look like one thing and they're not. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't think you can put the genie back in the bottle in terms of equipment. Yeah. I, I just don't. Now we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, maybe they'll go back to old Hickory wood. You know, as an aside, they have a tournament every year at mid pines in Pinehurst where the guys wear knickers and uh, drink warm beer and play with wooden clubs. How cool is that? <laughs> I'd, I'd love to go sign up for that, except I'd probably hurt myself. But uh, that's a little promotion for mid pines out there and pine needles for all you folks across the country. Yeah, we should get a stay and play uh, trade sponsorship with them. Let's work on that. Yeah, we'll work on that. Yeah, we need to do that. Well, Bill, it was, it was, uh, I'm glad to have you. It was fun to have Annie Wilgen here. And uh, as you folks out there heard about Cloud slash Annie Wilgen, uh, Bill appears weekly on the Golf Shop Show, which uh, you can hear on uh, TuneIn on radios across the country and across the world. I got a quote for the day, and this is pertinent to the world we live in right now. It's, you must be the change if you would, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. So meaning you got to be your own element for change. And it starts with, that's you. a good, I like that. That's I a good like one. that. You must be the change you see in the world. That's good stuff. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, next week. And uh, remember we're on all the platforms. Get us on all the listening platforms, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon. Look for us on YouTube for our video. Subscribe, push the bell, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week as we continue into 2021 with Picking and Putting. 
So for Dr. Z and Liberty Bill Edwards, bye-bye.